Let's get back to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. On the phone, we got a guy I remember playing back in the 80s with the Montreal Expos and Chicago Cubs. He was just phenomenal back then. He basically changed the culture on the north side, in my opinion, when he came to the Cubs in 1987. Hall of Famer Andre Dawson. How are you doing this morning? Fine. Good morning. Thank you. I remember... Uh I remember him playing in the 70s for Miami Southwest High School, which, which, so that goes back even further. Yeah, that was, uh, quite a while ago. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, 71 and 72. I didn't really play, uh, up until uh, my junior year. Uh, so, uh, high school was kind of, kind of brief. Now, one of your future teammates, Warren Cromartie, was playing at Miami Jackson. Did you know him back in Miami? No, I only knew of Cromartie uh, from his name uh, being tossed around within the community. But I really didn't meet Warren until Warren, – Warren was a year ahead of me in high school. I didn't meet him until my very first spring training, uh, which was in 19 19- – 76 in Daytona Beach, Florida. Did you play football in high school or just baseball? I played football. I played uh, football also uh, my senior year. I didn't play my junior year. I played uh, football primarily uh, because my friends played it, and uh, it gave me some time to pass leading up to the baseball season. When you got drafted in the 11th round, did you say to yourself, I definitely have a future in the, as a big league ball player. I might have a future. What, what was that experience like? Well, when I got, I got drafted, I had to first make the decision as to whether or not I was going to go ahead and sign professionally or finish uh, my college experience and go ahead and graduate and get my degree. And it had always been a childhood dream of mine uh, to sign at the professional level. And my uncle, I can remember talking to two of my uncles, actually, about what do I do now? Uh, Is this the break for me? Uh, Just how important my education is as... uh, a decision to do that and uh, neglect signing the contract. So they they pretty much left it up to me to make the decision. They say you're you're a young adult now, and uh, whatever you decide will support it. Um, you know, but it's it's your call. And I I kind of slept on it for for a couple of days. Uh, I had been invited to a tryout. Uh, with the Montreal Expos in Daytona Beach prior to the draft and told by uh, the coordinator at that time that uh, if things worked out that I would hear from them within a matter of 10 days and that was leading up to the draft itself. So I, I, I made the decision uh, that, you know, it was a childhood dream and it's what I always wanted was an opportunity. And I went ahead and elected to... Um, Signed the contract itself and uh, for go, go my senior year in college. 
And then a year later, you come up to the major leagues in September in 76, and then the following year, the rookie of the year. Was it that easy for you? Well, my minor league stay was real brief. I I always felt college baseball was, in some regards, very similar to minor league baseball. And, uh, you know, you get a lot of minor, uh, minor leaguers that are high school kids, so you kind of have the upper hand in that regard. But I just just felt that, you know, things sort of really start to, to click for me. Right around my junior year, I had sustained that, that knee injury in high school that slowed me for a couple of years uh, as a result of, um, of having uh, a major operation done. But things started to kind of fall into place for me, I think, my junior year. And I got out of the, the blocks real fast in the minor leagues. I was the Pioneer League Player of the Year uh, in rookie ball out in Lethbridge, Alberta, and uh, in, the, in the Pioneer League. And uh, that in itself kind of put me in a situation where uh, they didn't really want to send me to win a ball, but... Some injuries happened to some players over in Venezuela, and I, I went to win a ball just to to be exposed to to AAA major league caliber personnel, and I wind up playing, and I did very well my first uh, year of win a ball, and that promoted me to to Double A instead of A ball, where I got out of the blocks real fast in Double A. I was only there two months. I went to Triple A. Uh, for the rest of the season, we won the American League Association. Uh, I made the uh, the All-Star team uh, in the, at the AAA level, and before I knew it, the same year I had played AA, AAA, and got the call up to the big leagues. So my, my stint was, was real brief. It was about a year and two months. And, uh, you know, for me, it was just um, so many things happening so fast, and uh, the dream itself being fulfilled, uh, being uh, at the big league level in, in, in such a short period of time. So going into spring training the following winter, did you think, okay, I've got it made, or what was going through your head? No, I didn't think I, I had it made because I was still kind of in awe of, of being in the big leagues. Uh, the players uh, were... Uh, a little older, they were uh, a lot more experienced, and I still had to win a job. So I um, I went to spring training with the attitude that I'm just going to give it, you know, my best effort, and um, hopefully I could make the ball club. Montreal was still pretty much an expansion organization, uh, but they had a, they had. You know, quite a few veteran ball players. They had a lot of young players, a lot of young talent that they had in spring training that they uh, were given an opportunity. Myself, Ellis Valentine, Warren Cromarty, um, to mention a few, Gary Carter, Barry Foote. They were still, you know, players who were in their mid to low 20s. And I just, you know, said to myself, well, uh, I'm here for a reason, and, you know, I felt that I had done everything that I possibly could have at the AAA level, and I was just hoping that I would have a good spring and be given a long look and have an opportunity to win a job, and 
uh, it, it didn't really turn out that way. I won a job on a 25-man roster, but I was being platooned at the outset with Dale Ansa. But for me, that meant, you know, at least I was still in the big leagues. That outfield was just loaded with young guys with you, like you mentioned, Cromarty, and also Ellis Valentine. If you guys would all remained healthy, do you think that would probably been one of the best outfields of all time? Well, we was touted as the the best young outfield, and uh, I think it, they kind of tossed the word young around because uh, we were all within about uh, a month of each other uh, as far as age was concerned, uh, with Cromartie being the oldest of the three of us. Um, but I, I felt, you know, we played about five or six years together. Uh, of course, injuries I started to to play a role with Ellis being beamed uh, by pitching St. Louis and not really being the same player uh, that uh, he was touted to be. Ellis uh, was a four-five-two player. I had one of the strongest throwing arms that I ever saw as a major leaguer. And uh, Cromartie, of course, was an early round draft choice that had gotten to the big leagues early and very promising as a hitter. And uh, I myself. Uh, wasn't projected uh, to turn out uh, to be uh, the better ball player of the three. We were just very similar in age, and uh, we all had real natural and raw ability. Uh, but I think also that when it came time uh, during the free agent period to resign and keep all of us together, you know, the ball club or the organization started to go a different route. What was the experience of being an expo like? Well, playing across the border, um, that was that was unique in itself. The only, I think, drawback was uh, probably uh, the ballpark being very damp and cold with the AstroTurf. Um, the the issue with customs um, when you enter and leave the country, you got to go through customs, and sometimes. Uh, it can get to be a drag, especially when uh, you had the late night flights. Uh, but I, I enjoy it. I think uh, for the most part, everybody that played there enjoyed it. Uh, you had the French and English um, language barrier, but that didn't pose a problem because most of the people that you uh, came in contact with, if they didn't speak uh, both languages, uh, more so than not, they spoke English. So there was no communication problem. But it reminded me uh, probably Montreal in the summertime was unique because it, it reminded me of uh, maybe, I want to say, um, uh, downtown, uh, a small version of downtown New York, Manhattan, where you know people always would flock. Uh, the, the the downtown area, the city itself, and uh, just you know have the ball of a lifetime, probably without uh, the crime, but that place uh, I talked to a lot of players over the years who enjoyed coming there. They always looked forward to to coming to Montreal, but uh, only on, on a part time basis, not to play there every day. You guys were basically. Uh predicted to win the World Series, then you had to strike. Do you think that you would have won the World Series but for that strike? Well, we were we were uh, a talented ball club. Uh, we were playing very well. 
and you can't really say whether or not you know you 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 uh, are going to perform well enough to win the World Series. We did make the playoffs. Uh, we defeated Philadelphia in the the, the mini series. We lost to the Dodgers. Uh, if um, that's the the year that you're talking about, we lost to the Dodgers, who went on ahead and won the World Series. So we we were right there. We we always felt that uh, we were maybe a marquee free agent away from uh, fulfilling you know the dream of uh, not only postseason play but making it to the World Series. It was very tough to get the, the quality free agent to want to come across the border and play on a full-time basis. Of course, the organization will court them in some manner, but uh, when you know they made the final decision, they would elect uh, other opportunities. But we, you know, we were we were built around our minor league system, and we had the core group of talent there. But we always felt that, you know, because of the double hitters that we would play, uh, because of all of the uh, the conditions during the early part of the season, the double hitters that were piled up in September, uh, we would fall short, and uh, we just felt that we needed that one or two extra part to get us over the hump. Now, before the start of the 2014 seasons, they played a couple of uh, exhibition games in Montreal and had very good attendance. And, you know, any chance that baseball ever returns to Montreal, do you think? Uh, maybe to a degree, in all honesty, to the degree of maybe independent or minor leagues. I really don't think a major league team uh, will be there. It's just... My gut feeling, I think, once you lose an organization, uh, you're not going to get it back. Uh, it's, just, it's just too much uh, to get an organization. And uh, I do feel that during my playing days there, we we thrived on attendance. Uh, we were competitive. Uh, we had a fan base that came out and supported us. But once I left, that that started to dwindle. There were issues with a new ballpark, um, not being able to fulfill the commitment to keeping uh, your players intact that had come up through the system. They were losing uh, players to free agency. Uh, so it was a culmination of a few things uh, that sort of made it all fall apart. And, uh, you know, as successful as Toronto has been, Montreal uh, was Canada's team, uh, but I just feel, uh, you know, inside me that uh, once you know you lose an organization, you lose a major franchise, that it's um, it's going to be really an uphill battle trying to to get it back. And uh, I understand that, you know, they're uh, they're uh, sort of. Uh, a few things that have transpired over the last couple of years in an effort to get the uh, the game back in in Montreal. Um, one being, you know, this uh, past month, uh, those two exhibition games. But uh, just, you know, it's, it's it's a little bit more than that. There's a, there, there's a lot that has to be accomplished. Uh, other than that, to uh, get the, the the baseball back in in the, that area. Uh, of the country, and I just feel that, you know, it was there, they had it, they had the opportunity, and it just, you know, it, it, 
slip through the system, and uh, it'll be very, very difficult to to regain it. When you signed with the Cubs in '87, their famous half million dollar contract. Were there other teams that were talking to you, or because of collusion, basically everybody was just letting you just sit out there? No, there was no one that uh, really had showed any in, in, in interest. Uh, it was actually the idea of you know my agent and I uh, to move forward uh, in an effort to not put pressure on any any particular organization, but uh, see you know how we can get the ball rolling. There were only two teams uh, that came to mind. Uh, of interest to me, uh, one being the Chicago Cubs, uh, because of uh, the National League, still being in the National League, uh, Wrigley Field, uh, WGN, daytime baseball, I'd always played and performed better, I think, under those conditions. And um, the Atlanta Braves, because also uh, its uh, location, being in the National League, being closer to my home, and uh, being uh, a facility that had grass, uh, we just devised a plan of this is how we're going to uh, go moving forward. Uh, I think the only way we can get interest, um, uh, get the attention of the clubs, is to uh, not go in and and put a monetary value on where uh, what we had in mind, but uh, kind of put the ball in their court and let them make a decision. And I, I told the Cubs, uh, this is the blank contract that uh, we're going to leave on the table for 24 hours and we're going to do the same thing down in West Palm Beach with the Atlanta Braves. And uh, they really didn't know what to make of it initially, uh, what type of a ploy um, it was, uh, you know, what meaning it had. Uh, they wanted their legal team to look it over, but uh, we felt monetary uh, numbers being thrown around wasn't going to get us anywhere. Uh, so if it was going to work, then you know they had to make us an offer. And I just said to my agent, you know, I'm pretty much sticking my neck out, um, but I'm going to be man enough and stand up to it. It's not a monetary issue right now. It's just principle. If I'm going to have to take a cut and pay because of the collusion, and I'm going to take a cut and pay and go somewhere where, you know, I know that I'll enjoy the game and I can look in the mirror and, and uh, really be satisfied with the decision that I make. Could you and your agent tell at the time that it, the teams were indeed uh, in collusion during this whole process? Or do yeah, you just we, scratch, or you scratch your head and say, yeah. what's going on? No, we, we, we knew uh, it was... <clears throat> It was sort of the course of the game at the at the time. Um, you know, we were having problems um, within uh, the basic agreement itself uh, when it came to free agents and uh, clubs. Just uh, were refusing to to sign free agents, especially sign them to lucrative deals. Uh, they were being forced to re-sign with their original ball club. Uh, which I didn't have a problem with, but the the biggest problem was uh, finally having leverage after ten years uh, and and being able to you know be I have a little bit control uh, being in a position where the club came at you with uh, a deal that 
provided a cut and pay as opposed to your market value. And um, it didn't really bode real well with me because I, I had just finished up a six-year deal that I had signed prior, which um, posed underpayment as, as, as far as uh, my talents and ability was concerned. And uh, they just felt that moving forward, uh, that was the best that they were going to offer or the most that they were going to offer. And uh, because of the collusion process that I really didn't have any other alternative, but, you know, I, I can remember my comment was that, well, at this particular point, you know, I'm, I'm thankful and I appreciate the last 10 years, you know, but it's really a slap in the face if, you know, you can honestly look at me and say, uh, to play across the border, uh, being one of your products of your minor league system, and still one of your core ball players, that you're only going to offer me uh, a, a cut and pay to remain here. Um, I'd just as soon get off the astroturf, go somewhere where I can prolong my career, uh, if that's going to happen, and you know enjoy the rest of my playing days. You had that two hundred fifty thousand dollar bonus. You made the All Star team. Um, let's see, and won the MVP. Did you think there was any way possible that you would get those incentives? Well, the the, the All Star team I felt uh, was uh, very attainable. Um, the the clause with the games played I felt was attainable. The biggest one was the MVP award. You know, I had finished runner up twice while playing in Montreal, and I said that I would never win it there. Um, for one, you know, uh, I'm not marketed uh, that way to win an MVP award in Montreal. Uh, it's across the border. Um, and I just felt if I was going to win it, I had to be playing in the States, probably in a media center uh, with an organization uh, that got a lot of exposure. And I didn't really... Um, dwell on the incentives too much um, because, you know, you, first of all, you just got to be out there and you got to be in the lineup every day and things have to fall into place. Uh, I just looked at it as a new beginning for me. Uh, the incentives still put me under what Montreal was going to offer, so it didn't really play that, that huge of a role, but I did accomplish all of the incentives, and that brought the contract value up to, I think, $700,000, $750,000. You walk into a spring training, you see any familiar faces in the clubhouse? What was the transition like walking into a ball, new ball club? Well, the new, the, the, I wouldn't say new faces. Uh, most of these guys I knew from being the opposition, um, playing against them. Uh, what that meant now was that they were teammates of mine. And I had been in the game 10 years, so I didn't step in feeling my way around. Uh, they welcomed me from day one. Well, once I got there, they had already started spring training games. So uh, I, there was a lot of work for me to do uh, to get prepared for the season. But uh, I had already done that. I stepped in the first day, and I was used as a pinch hitter without any um without any any spring training 
behind me, but like I said, I had done uh, most of my core work on my own, and I felt once I got there, I was still in shape and ready to play. But those guys, like the fans, uh, knew of me from my days of playing in Montreal, some of which were my age, a couple a little older, and then uh, for the most part, quite a few younger. So I was kind of looked up to in a sense uh, because I was, uh, even though had to had to win a job there, they felt that I was going to be uh, the guy in right field, and I was would hopefully add to the surplus uh, of talent that they had and, and put them in a position to be where they would like to be. So I didn't I didn't come in and feel my way around. I just you know took the attitude. Uh, the season itself is less than a month away. You know, and I got to get myself ready for you know, for opening day. One of the scariest parts of that season, though, was when Eric Shaw hit you with that pitch. I remember watching that on TV, going, "Oh, there goes his career," because it it was scary. Yeah, anytime uh, you hit up uh, near the the head area, uh, it can uh, be very damaging. Uh, you, you you're talking about someone's livelihood and. Uh, you never know what direction that can go. I, I saw what happened to Ellis Valentine when his cheek was fractured. Um, I saw what happened uh, in Houston uh, to a very, very uh, good ball player that was having, uh, prior to that injury, uh, a very promising uh, career starting to, to, to come together. But I, I just you know, tried to block it out of my mind. The one thing I, I never feared was the baseball itself. Uh, that's why it didn't bother me to crowd the plate and make the pitcher work me to my strength. But uh, it's, you know, it's it can be devastating. Uh, it's not, you know, the most comfortable feeling, uh, you know, whenever you're hit in the, in, the, in the head, in the helmet. But, you know, for me, the attitude I took was, you know, I wanted to get back in the lineup as quickly as possible. They kept me out for three games. They wanted to go longer than that, but I was back in the lineup within a matter of three days with the area where I was uh, hit, stitched up, and um, pretty much going in the healing direction. So in 87, you win the MVP. The Cubs are a last-place team. You're the first player to ever win the Most Valuable Player Award on a last-place team. Did, did you say to yourself, I'm not sure I signed with the right team? Or did you see better days ahead? No, I, I always uh, felt that that was the best fit for me. Again, because it was grass, uh, it was daytime baseball, it was still in the National League. And uh, it takes so much, you know, to um, to be a winner. That was primarily the same ball club that had won it, I think, in 84. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I just felt that uh, things kind of fell apart uh, for us the second half of the season. During the first half, uh, we weren't that far from first place, I think, four or five games. And the second half, um, they just started to make a lot of business moves where they were unloading most of the veteran ball players, some of the bigger contracts. And, you know, I, I, I didn't blink twice about it. I just you know, said, you know, I'm here for a reason. Um, I, this is where, you know, I probably 
would like to finish my career. I had, you know, developed a love affair with the fans, uh, the city itself, and uh, I just felt that that's where I belong, that's where I was supposed to be, and, uh, you know, I'm just going to make the most of it. I never realized that the Cubs uh, picked the date for the first night game based upon your uniform number with that 8888. Well, I, I don't know what was the reason behind that. I can't even speculate. Um, but so much was made of, you know, night baseball and Wrigley Field and, you know, when it's going to happen, um, uh, what it's going to do for the organization. We were just glad um, uh, and happy that that moment had arrived because uh, as much as I like uh, playing daytime baseball, sometimes you need a break and uh, you you need to play at night. And whether it was, you know, at home or on the road, we just enjoyed the fact that uh, it was finally going to happen in Wrigley Field. How tough was playing right field in Wrigley for day games? Oh, it, it can be very tough. Uh, you really got to work uh, out there extensively before the game. Uh, you know, the wind can play havoc. You have to know uh, the elements. Uh, the sun uh, is 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 tough, very tough, especially in the late innings when a lot of times the game is on the line. And uh, I... I can't say I perfected it, but I had my I, I had the little things that I did uh, that would help me along the way. I, I knew how to play the wind. Uh, I knew how to play the sun. Uh, and a lot of times I prayed uh, that the ball wouldn't come off the bat at a certain angle because of the sun. But like I said, for the, for the most part, uh, you go out there and it makes you focus a little bit harder because a lot of times, like I say, you know the game is on the line and there are plays that have to be made. How thrilling was it to know that you had those fans behind you when I think Harry called them uh, Andre's Army back in 87? Well, they allowed me to uh, to be a, a, a youngster uh, again. Uh, from the salon and the way they embraced me from day one in spring training, uh, once I got there, uh, they... Uh, just made me look forward to getting to the ballpark every day. And that's who you play the game for. You play the game for the fans. Uh, you play the game uh, to represent an organization uh, and to wear that uniform. And uh, they were probably the most loyal fans that I ever played for. And, uh, you know, like I say, for them to embrace me the way that they did coming from another organization, uh, I just felt that that's where I always belonged. And I took the attitude that this is where I want to retire. It didn't turn out, uh, pan out that way. But that's kind of the feeling I got from the fans. They just, they, they, they made it electrifying. They made playing every day purposeful. And uh, like I say, you played the game for the fans. After your time with the Cubs, you ended up a free agent and signed with Boston. What what was the Fenway Park experience like? Well, they had a lot of knowledgeable fans also. Uh, I saw the fan base being kind of similar, the ballparks being uh, a little bit similar with the intricate angles and and so on. Uh, But the American League was different. 
from the National League. Those were probably the, 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 the biggest differences. But I, I do think that Boston fans, they're loyal, they're knowledgeable. I, I put them in the same class with the Cub fans. And it was good in a sense that I felt the second half of my career, uh, I played in a fan base, you know, where you really had the support, you had to turn out day in and day out. Uh, your home team expect, uh, respected you, and uh, they cheered you on. They wanted to see you do well. They wanted to see you perform. And in a lot of instances, you know, they made playing the game a lot easier for you. What was your favorite park to play in? Uh, by far Wrigley, um, because it it made me um, really focus on you know what I had to learn about that ballpark, um, how you know my what my approach would be going in every day and playing in that ballpark. Again, learning the elements, uh, learning how to position yourself. Uh, with the hitters and, you know, play, playing the game uh, the way it's supposed to be played. I I always enjoyed Wrigley uh, as the opposition coming in. And once I got there on a full-time basis, you know, it was a, it was a dream come true. And I experienced playing there for six years. And I just, during those six years, I really had the time of my life. When you finished up your career with the Florida Marlins, now the Miami Marlins, was was that just sort of uh, completing the circle, coming back home? Well, I actually felt that I probably um, would retire after the strike season, the last season in Boston. And I got a call from, from John Hart uh, with Cleveland, and uh, he wanted to bring me in, I think, as, as a designated hitter, uh, part-time player. And I, I kind of thought about it, and I said, well, um, it could extend me and uh, push me toward a 3,000-hit plateau. And we did entertain it, but they called back. Uh, I think they were uh, kind of using me in a sense to get Dave Winfield to resign. And uh, they did call back and said they had reached an agreement with Winfield. And I was, you know, I was on my way home um, uh, thinking about retirement when Dave Dombrowski called and he said that, you know, he was looking for a veteran player, a clubhouse presence um, for that expansion ball club to help come in with the younger ball players. And I I thought about it. I I said, well, you know, I probably uh, don't have to play every day. be at home, I sleep in my own bed, I can play before my family, and it's only going to be a year. Uh, so, um, you know, maybe I can wind my career down that way by just giving my family and friends an opportunity to see me on a part-time basis uh, at home. And that, that turned out to be a, a two-year stint. But I just felt, you know, it was time to walk away from the game. I always said, you know, it's good if you can give the uniform back as opposed to have it taken away from you. And, uh, it, was, it, it was time. It was, you know, 20-plus years, and I could really feel the wear and tear uh, with my legs, with my knees in particular. And uh, I had fulfilled, for the most part, 
everything that I could hope for at that level, maybe without, you know, playing in a, in a, in a World Series. But uh, there was nothing really left for me uh, to try to accomplish other than that. And I just said, you know, it's 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 pretty inevitable. Some at some point, you gotta, you know, get the uniform back. You gotta walk away from the game. I was more than ready to do that, uh, but my goal at the outset was to play 15 years. I surpassed it, and uh, you know, persevered under the circumstances. When initially I was told I'd be lucky if I played four years, so I just I walked away from the game. Um, uh, it was tough for me to do. It was emotional, it was more emotional than tough to do, uh, but I was more than ready. You wore number 10 in Montreal. Why did you wear number 8 with the Cubs? Because at that time, number 10 was not retired in honor of Santa. Well, I wore number 10 in Montreal because uh, Gary Carter was number 8. Uh, Gary Carter was uh, the young catcher. Uh, he was the uh, premier catcher of the organization. Uh, so number eight wasn't available. Number eight always was my number, high school, college, um, in the minor leagues. And, uh, uh, you know, initially I wore number number 24, and they traded for Tony Perez, but I was a rookie. And, uh, you know, I wasn't hesitant to give Tony Perez number 24, and I think I took uh, number 40, no, number 16, I think. And uh, once Perez was gone, I went <clears throat> number. No, I took ten. I'm sorry. And once Perez was gone, um, I elected to stay with number ten. When I went to the Cubs, uh, number eight was available, and I went back to eight. Um, I wore number eight until I went to Boston, and uh, of course that was Corey Stremski's number, so I had to go back to number ten. <laughs> and then I went to. Uh, the Miami Marlins, and uh, Gary Sheffield was number 10, so I went back to number 8. <laughs> so, you know, it kind of, you know, it kind of played itself out to where I was able to wear. Those were my two favorite numbers, 10 and 8. I got to wear them at some point in time wherever I was playing. Because Yosh, I heard Yosh would give you a uniform with a number, and basically you had to take it, or Yosh gave you some leeway. Uh, well, he did ask me what number, you know, did I want. And I told him, I said, number eight, if it was available. And he said, of course, it's available. He said, um, there's a, a young kid uh, that wants to wear number eight. I think it was Damon Berryhill. He said, but no, it's not going to be a problem. He said, number eight, you got it. Because Josh ran that clubhouse. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was Yoshi's place, um, and uh, you know, as one of the uh, forgotten people, the clubhouse people, they some of the uh, forgotten people in the game, but uh, they serve a lot of purpose, and uh, they make things real pleasurable and enjoyable for the players. When you retired and looked back at what you had accomplished, did you say to yourself, "I have a shot at being in the Hall of Fame"? Well, I, I felt that I had had a productive career. Uh, that's something you, you can't never really be too sure about. I knew it was tossed around a lot. Uh, so much was mentioned uh, about you being a future Hall of Famer. It's, you know, it's a no-brainer. Uh, but 
you know as a, as a player you can't control the, the voting process. You would hear fans say one thing, you would hear baseball people say one thing, and then you, you listen to the writers, you know, they're kind of all across the board. So, um, but I knew that, you know, the players that were really touted up to uh, Hall of Fame worthy, uh, I had played and performed uh, with those players. I had um, just as good, if not better, numbers, and that it was, you know, it was a possibility. Uh, then when that time comes around, when uh, the voting process comes around, and it doesn't happen for me, it didn't happen for nine years, and I just, you know, look at it and like, okay, it's, it's, it's pretty much lost most of its luster. Uh, so if it happens, you know, just be ready uh, for that time. If there's something that uh, was instilled in me by family, uh, it's inevitable, it's going to happen, just be ready uh, when it does happen. Uh, so I took the attitude that every winter I'm not going to get bent out of shape in regards to uh, how the voting process is and you know where I finish in the voting. Just be prepared for it if it doesn't happen. With all the awards you got, the MVP, the Rookie of the Years, the eight All-Stars, the eight Gold Gloves, four Silver Sluggers, is there an award that stands out as your favorite? Uh, it will probably, uh, yeah, I think the first, uh, the first MVP award finally, to, to finally win it. Uh, there was a time in Montreal when uh, the Sporting News conducted a poll, and I was, I was voted as uh, the the best all-around player in the game for a couple of years, and that was just my my career kind of kind of falling in place and uh, me kind of falling into my prime. Uh, and then to finally win it uh, that one time, uh, it, it, it opened my eyes to the fact that I knew that, uh, you know, once I was out of Montreal that I could pull off that feat. But there were so many, so many accolades over a 20-year period. That was just a culmination of having a career year and having it at the right time. Like I said, there were a lot of lot of things that transpired over here, a lot of good things, a lot of bad things. Uh, but for the most part, I just tried to be consistent, you know, go out there and be in the lineup on a daily basis. When you went in the Hall of Fame, how did you feel? Well, I, 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 I've always been humble. I kind of had to let it sink in for a while, um, I didn't reflect at the outset. It was for me. It was it was an emotional day because I did something I had never done before. I went to visit uh, the grave sites of both my mom and my grandmother, who played a very important part uh, during my playing career. And I, I, the reason I did that is because there was that was the window for me to get in. There was no one for me to hurdle. And I had already um, attained the 65% vote total the, the previous year. So I felt that was a wonder for me. And I just said to myself, and, you know, I shared some things with them about how thankful I was for their role in my life. And that if, you know, what I think is going to happen happens that particular day, um, 
hopefully they will be proud of that moment. They would have been proud of that moment. And I shed some tears. I came home, and I just waited to see if I was going to get the phone call or not. And when I got the phone call, uh, it was a huge sigh of relief, but I knew, realized that everything was going to start getting crazy from that moment on. Uh, but uh, it, it was an emotional day for me. I was, I was thankful that the whole ordeal was behind me now, and not knowing how and if it's going to change my life, what's ahead. I just, you know, everything just started to, to change gears and move a little bit faster and quicker. And I... As humble as I always was, I was very, very excited and happy that it was all behind me. One, one last thing. One of my most prized possessions is a poster of you, Walter Payton, and Michael Jordan that all you guys signed for me. I mean, with the tuxes on. It is so classy. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a magazine cover. I think the Chicago Times did uh, back in 87. Uh, of the three of us, it was, you know, Athletes from three different sports uh, wearing tuxedos, um, and it was uh, one of the very first opportunities that I got to to meet them both um, in person at the same time. Uh, I think it was the first time I'd actually met Michael, uh, but uh, two real classy individuals, and uh, uh, you know they were uh, Chicago sports at the time, and uh, just. You know, exciting and interesting uh, to be able to to do a photo shoot with the both of them and to do it in tuxedos and in uniform. Andre Dawson, not only a Hall of Famer on the field, but off just a class guy. No question about it. We want to thank our soundman Dave Olson for another great show. I'm David Spade with Ellie Harris. Thanks for listening to Sports and Torts here on TalkZone.com.